0: Hi, I'm Dr. Don Welch, licensed marriage and family therapist, and welcome to the My Therapist Says podcast, where I moderate discussions between various relationship experts from medical doctors to licensed mental health professionals to enrich relationship skills and communication. This podcast seeks to bring healing and hope to what matters most in our lives, our relationships. If you would like even more content or to speak with a therapist, you can visit us at www.enrichingrelationships.org. Thank you and enjoy. Good evening and welcome to My Therapist Says. We have another wonderful presentation, this one particularly on losses, Uh, much more than just maybe a loss of a mate or a loss of a child or certainly a loss of someone in your life. It could be the loss of a job. It could be the loss of something that's really important to you. Maybe it's your home or something like that. So tonight as we look at this topic, we actually have an expert with us who's going to be leading the presentation. Um, And we're very proud to introduce our presenter as well as those who are participating. I'm Dr. Don Welch, I'm the Counseling Pastor here at Skyline. We welcome you uh, tonight to this uh, presentation. If you have a three by five card, would you hold that up in the air? I wanna make sure that you have that, thank you. That three by five card is very important Important to the success of this evening's dialogue and discussion. If you have a question that you would like for us to try to work with and respond to, if you would put a question right on that three x five card. Now as we're sitting here, if you could write it, just write it out if it's something that is concerning you. And all you need to do throughout the evening is if you hold that up in the air, one of our hosts will come by and pick that up from you. They'll bring it right up on this little table here. And then I will hopefully have opportunity to read your question, and then our panel and I will be able to hopefully discuss that and decide that. So anybody right now, if you have a question that you've written down, just hold it up in the air and one of our hosts will come by and pick that up. So this is a very interactive opportunity. Our my my therapist says we have been now we are in the 80s of our pre- presentations over these many years. And we do have the audio of these available. We are videotaping tonight. So we have several cameras that are capturing this event. And it typically is live streaming at the time that we present the event. So right now it should be live streaming. So if you have friends or family who would like to listen to one of our My Therapist Says while it's being presented the first Wednesday of each month, they're able to do that at their leisure. And so we welcome you tonight. Um, during our, our evening, again, at any time, you could raise your hand without a 3 by 5 card, and one of our hosts will come by and give you another three by five card. So it's like having a therapist in your living room, that's the idea, so that you can have this exchange and interaction much like you would if you had a professional therapist right in your living room. So I'd like to have a word of prayer and then we will make a brief introduction of our presenters. You may have had opportunity to read their bios and their backgrounds on the very large screen directly behind me. Let's have a word of prayer as we begin. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the privilege to come together where two or three are gathered together in your name, in your presence, that you are with us and you want to do the remarkable as we meet. You've promised us that the great comforter has come, that's the Holy Spirit who lives within each of us as Christians, and that you comfort us and you speak to us. And tonight we pray that you would please honor that and speak to each of us individually and then collectively. There may be someone here this evening who is so disheartened they're not sure how they can go on holding on to or embracing the pain that they are experiencing with a particular loss or losses in that person's life. So we pray your presence into this evening. Thank you for these wonderful Christian therapists who are willing to give of their time to be of help and assistance to your work that you are accomplishing. So we bless you this night, we thank you for this privilege, and we'll give you praise for what you accomplish as we have given this evening over to you. In Jesus' name, amen. If I may just introduce our panel this evening. Some of you may have seen... Them or heard them before. Uh, Yolanda Gork, and there is a card back here. So we have cards that are already being held up in the air to let us know that there are questions coming to us. Uh, Yolanda Gork is a specialist in this area. For almost 10 or 11 years, she was at the church, the, the church on the way. This is in Van Nuys, a very, very powerful. A church, and she led seminars constantly during that decade while she and her husband were up in that area. And so she comes to us with a great background in this area. She is a life coach, and she's also a licensed marriage and family therapist. So she'll be presenting for just about approximately uh, 15 minutes or a little more, and then we will have the discussion and questions following that. Um, Also, Bethany Johnson is is with us, and Bethany was also part of a very mega church in the uh, Orange County area, and uh, some of you may have even uh, read the book where it was a 40-day working on your life of fasting and also turning to the Lord. Her pastor was the one who wrote that, and she is here also, part of our team at the Center for Enriching Relationships, and she specializes really with uh, children and adolescents. Uh, tremendous! She was actually a youth minister over one of the larger uh, churches in in America that we know of today. So we're we're glad to have you with us. And Kathy Getkey um, is a tremendous asset to our center. Some of you know she and her husband were they were part of this church for for many many years. Many of you know her and appreciate her. She brings a lot of wisdom and depth, Uh, not only the uh, circumstances surrounding one of her children who had cancer at one point and has tremendous empathy, and she's highly regarded in our community, at our center. Uh, People have a strong commitment to the work that uh, she embarks on with them. So I'm very proud to introduce all three of these. One of the ways that I can invite therapists to join us, because it's a high salary, they're not not paid to be here, and uh, this ministry began without any budget. And we have a very minimal budget. So if you see other people that are on cameras, uh, John in the very back and his wife who have made this happen, John Train and Donna who have made this happen for years are doing this out of uh, a gratitude to God and and love. So, one way. That I can invite therapists to come join us is that they they have the privilege of making themselves uh, visible uh, to those that may be seeking a therapist. So I, I hope that that may be a possibility. If you are thinking about or seeking a therapist, that this could be opportunity that you would see one of these persons and. Could talk with them afterwards. Their cards, their business cards, are in the back. So I welcome each of you, all three of you. Thank you. Without any further introduction, Yolanda, if you will go ahead and uh, begin your presentation. Thank you. Yes. It's on.
1: Hello. Oh, good. Good evening, everyone. It's a pleasure to be here again. Um, let me open with a word—a quick word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the invitation that you have placed on each person's heart who's come here tonight for an answer, maybe for themselves or someone else. I ask that they would hear your answer through the word and the testimony that I have. I pray, Father, that wherever they are feeling the need to know, do you love them? Do you still see them? their hope for whatever it is that they are going through. I pray that they would feel it, know it, and understand that you are here. You are near the brokenhearted. Thank you God for this opportunity to share uh, this information with the body of Christ. Amen. Amen. Uh, I don't know how many of you have heard the word resilience, but if you can imagine grass, a lot of grass, and then someone walking on the grass. You've seen the footprint of someone after they've walked on grass, whether it's been cut or not. Imagine that grass, after a couple of hours, just returning back to its normal height. That's the concept behind the idea, the word resilience, and the definition, is being able to bounce back after a setback. Uh, I put on the first slide, I'm not sure if we've we've already passed it, could we go back to the first one? Grief is the normal reaction to a loss. Many times people feel like they're grieving too long or they're not grieving the right way, but it is a normal, loss is normal and grieving is normal. It's also determined by the value that you place on an event or a person. Otherwise you wouldn't be sad. So in some way the value of grieving is, under, is underestimated because you wouldn't grieve something that you didn't value. A relationship, a hope, a dream, a desire, a goal, a home, your health. All of those are things that you place value on, and determining how much value you place determines the grief that you have out of respect for that. Resilience is the ability to recover or adapt quickly after a setback or change. I am talking about loss on a continuum. All of our life has different developmental stages that we walk through so that we can grow and we can mature as believers as well as human beings. And so on the continuum of loss, there are a lot of uh, experiences that we will have that will make us feel sad, upset, angry, they may even shock us. And so I started with trauma through crisis, the disappointment, failures. Just the developmental stages of life, uh, growing up, uh, leaving, falling in love, getting married, having children, all, uh, all the way through coming back to possibly caring for your parents. And then the final loss is death, which is another doorway to a different type of beginning. When I was thinking about presenting this topic uh, about three months ago, I had no idea that my dad would die a month and three days before I was speaking. My dad uh, died um, January 2nd, and my husband and I had been caring for my mom and my dad as respite caregivers for the last three years. And I was preparing for this, and I was looking over my notes, and I thought, you know what? Some of you may not have experienced one particular loss, but possibly multiple losses. Three years ago, when we came, our health, my husband and I, we had pretty good health, and then I discovered that after a tonsillectomy, I had non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. It was stage one, and that was a shock. Even after the cancer treatments and the radiation treatments and all of that was successful. Thank you, Jesus. Uh, my husband suddenly developed uh, some health problems, and he now he has a pacemaker, and then my father suddenly became ill, and at 89 years of age, he died. And so some of you may have been experiencing multiple losses, not just one loss. And whatever loss you experience, what I've learned is that the danger is that you may identify with the loss as opposed to your life. So if you had a failure, you may think of yourself, well, I'm a failure, I I shouldn't try because after all I failed. Or some people may even think, I'm a loser. I, I, I've lost so much, what could I possibly try? Why should I try again, going back into a business? The danger isn't the loss. What I want to share with you is my heart is that God doesn't see you as a loss. No matter how many failures or losses you have, you are never recognized or seen by God. In the eyes of God, you belong to Him. Whether, no matter how many losses happen to you, and that is separating yourself, your identity from whatever happens that's bad or sad uh, or that other people think that you should uh, identify with. Separating your identity from the events that happen. Honestly, the events that happen in our lives are so unique and different. It's the meaning that we attach to an event in our life. And that's what defines your loss and your grief. That's why some of you may have lost a home and others have uh, recovered. You're not feeling depressed or sad or like you shouldn't try to make a home again. Because everyone will react differently depending on the value that you place and the meaning that you attach to that loss. Again, the definition of resiliency, or resilience, thank you, is the ability of a strained body to spring back into shape after it's been pulled, stretched, pressed, or bent. Sounds pretty awful, doesn't it? It's the capacity to recover quickly from difficulties. And lastly, it's the ability to remain open, flexible, and willing to adapt or change. This, I believe, is the key to being able to move through normal losses in our life and not get stuck. Because our ability to adapt is where our faith comes in, our faith in God and being able to trust God and not feel like this is our fault or God is trying to teach us something. I presented you with a, in the handout with a resilience quiz. So you can ask yourself, when something bad happens... What is, the ne- what is the self-talk that goes on in your mind? Do you think, hey, this is bad, but hopefully I'm going to learn from this? That's a very positive mindset. Or do you think, why does this have to happen to me? You might add, now, after, after this. Couldn't it happen to me later? And the last one I put in, because it's one that I've said sometimes, and I, I hear that from other Christians, really, God? I can't take this anymore. And frequently, the last thing that you want to hear is someone attach a scripture band-aid to you when you're really stressed or you may be going through a crisis. Sometimes you almost feel like uh, God is trying to teach you something with a loss, a hurt, a disappointment, and nothing could be farther than the truth. We are to learn from that, but what we learn is that we are not a loss, we're not a mistake, and God is with us no matter what we're experiencing. During a crisis, the next slide, thank you. Do you ask for help when feeling overwhelmed, or do you try to just handle it on your own? Do you focus on steps that you can take to solve the problem? Or do you blame external events or others for creating the situation? As you can tell, this little questionnaire is helping you see how do you. How do you resolve difficult situations that you're going through? And this shows you two different mindsets that could help you resolve those issues and not stay stuck. Because I'm talking about loss on a continuum, I wanted to share with you one of the sticking points that a lot of Christians have, and that's the next slide, where a normal grief reaction that you might not expect is being angry at God. Angry at yourself or angry at other people. You can be angry that people expect you to just get on with your life. Frequently, it's because people don't know what to say to you, and they're very uncomfortable with your tears, the fact that you may cry every time they call you, that you're not getting out like you used to, and it makes them feel uncomfortable because we may have a tendency to want to fix people, to make them feel okay, and if we can't, then we want you to get on with your life, and that may not be what you're ready for. You can be angry that people still laugh, the world goes on, and holidays are not canceled. That's so normal. You want the world to stop. How can people be out Christmas shopping? Uh, My daughter's having cancer. My my little one is in turmoil. Things are, are not going well. How can this go on? Why are they singing in church? These are normal reactions. And if you experience them, This is healthy for you, rather than trying to stifle them or be pushed into a season of pretending that you're okay when you're really not. The next slide is healthy grief, and it's not everything about healthy grief, but I thought it would be helpful for some of you to see that if you can acknowledge that there's a change or a loss has taken place, and it hurts, that's healthy. Rather than saying those two famous words, I'm fine when you're really not. If you are, that's being honest. But if you're not, don't feel like you have to pretend for other people to feel comfortable. The next one, avoid trivializing your grief or pain. And I would say, don't allow other people to trivialize your pain for you with little cliches, even if they're scripture. If you're feeling that pain and it's a lot, don't minimize it and say, I'll get over this. I'll get through this. Expect to mourn losses that do not result in death. Many times there are losses that are considered secondary losses. For example, you may know someone who's gone through a divorce. But maybe the divorce and the separation and the loss of income. Of that that's attached, they don't get to talk about that. They're just hearing people say, oh, I'm so sorry that it didn't work out and you'll find someone else and you should go to grief share or divorce care. But maybe inside you have other losses attached to that. Maybe one of them is the fact that you'd, you never thought you'd be divorced when you said, I do. Maybe there's a loss of trust in God because you prayed about it. You even went to premarital counseling. So, expecting to grieve losses that are not death related is something very key that I want to say is normal and it's very legitimate. The last one express grief for losses that are not recognized by society. They're called disenfranchised losses in therapy talk, and the reason is because society doesn't agree that you should take much time to grieve them. They're not considered legitimate. They're not considered anything that there's a support group for. And so you could feel isolated and maybe even a little crazy for even feeling bad. Uh, significant loss, losses such as abortion, miscarriage, breaking up with someone, a drug overdo- death by drug overdose, or like I mentioned before, divorce, a disenfranchised grief. Is grief for a loss that is not or cannot be openly acknowledged, is not socially sanctioned or publicly mourned? It says society, and that is what the definition of disenfranchised loss is, but you can also be feeling disenfranchised or not able to talk about your loss to your in your church, to your friends, or your family. Perhaps because you're embarrassed because maybe people told you you shouldn't marry this person, you shouldn't date this person, you know there's a red flag, but you did anyway. And because you feel regret for not listening, perhaps you feel like you should just be quiet about it and suffer in silence. For you, I would say the grief doesn't go away, it just goes inside. But it doesn't go away, and it comes out in other behaviors. We find ways to comfort ourselves if we're not able to talk to someone who can listen to us without judgment. Ways to develop resilience. I, the, American Associ- the American Psychological Association used to say that resiliency was something we learned in our family of origin. <clears throat> When you were a child, maybe you saw your parents uh, dealing with difficult situations, and so you thought, well, that's a problem-solving skill, I'll just do that. Maybe your father took two jobs instead of one job because finances were tight. So you learned those. Now the American uh, Psychological Association says instead of a trait that you might have learned. It's a process, and I think that's so much healthier to understand resiliency as a process, a process of learning from your loss as opposed to identifying with your loss. So here are some ways that you could develop resiliency. Find your purpose in life. Develop a strong support system. Ask for help when you feel overwhelmed, and set realistic goals. The reason I put find your purpose in life is because if you know what you're born to do, if you find your purpose, the things that happen to you that are disappointments, uh, little mistakes or failures in that process can look like speed bumps as opposed to a dead end where you give up and you just turn around and say, well, I was—I should have never tried this anyway. If you know your purpose, you can see it in terms with a long-term vision as opposed to seeing. Anything that would happen to you is something that's a sign from God that you should stop that this is not what you're good at So it gives you perspective if you know what your purpose is in life. The next slide is understanding loss is normal part of life Learning to embrace change or adapt after loss that can be hard if you place a lot of value on being successful And you do not want to fail at anything you might need a little help to be able to have a better perspective of loss or failure. Confront or deal with your problems. Avoid victim thinking. It's difficult when you're experiencing multiple losses to not feel like a victim. But if you have someone that you can share this with who can understand you without any judgment, it can take some of the stigma of feeling like a victim when you have multiple losses. That are happening in your life or to people close to you. The last one is accept circumstances or people that cannot be changed. Accept them. I know no one here has ever tried to change someone, but take it from me, it doesn't work. <laughs> I know I'm, I'm alone here, but in case I'm not, this is one way that you can stay stuck Grieving a loss or a failure when you blame someone else and you want them to change so they won't cause you pain anymore. It doesn't work that way. So if you don't want to stay stuck and just regurgitating this, I'm a failure, I'm a loss, if they would only get their act together, my life would be better, then acceptance is huge in being able to give you that quality of resilience. Be aware of your feelings and thoughts. Make sure that they're yours and not other people's thoughts for you. Take decisive action in adverse situations. Sometimes you might need a friend, a counselor, a pastor, someone to be able to help you think if you're in a crisis. What do I do today? It's enough for today. What do I do the next day? What do I do the day after that? The message is don't be afraid to ask for help, no matter what you're going through. The last one is nurture yourself. You may not feel like you can nurture yourself when you're experiencing a hurt or pain, and that's another reason to ask for help. Be kind to yourself. Don't try to fix yourself. So quickly. I know the definition of resiliency was being able to bounce back. Some people want to bounce back so quickly that they don't want to learn from whatever it is they could learn from the divorce, the breakup, the, uh, the failure with finances. But that is ultimately one of the purposes that God has for us whenever we experience a trial. And lastly, I want to leave you with what I found was very helpful in my experiences this last three years. Second Corinthians chapter 4, 7, 9 says, Paul says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God. And I translated that, this all-surpassing power to be resilient, to bounce back after any hurt, loss, or disappointment, is from God. It's not from us. We are hard pressed on every side. We can feel hard pressed, but we're not crushed. We can feel perplexed, but we're not in despair. We absolutely can feel persecuted at times, but we're never abandoned, struck down but not destroyed. Because the gift within us is Jesus. and. Jesus uses everyone in the body to help us get reconnected so that we can bounce back, maybe not to our original shape, but to a better shape than we were before. Hope this has been helpful. Thank you for listening. God bless you.
0: Thank you. Would you join me in? Thank you, Yolanda. Thank you so much. I'd like to park on a couple thoughts here that you've given us to maybe even spend a few minutes unlayering them as we go to the questions. I have a few questions before me. I know you have said, understand loss is a normal part of life. We tend to not think that is true. We may hear that, but we try to create um, a lot of habits and things that help us to see that life is going to always be sustained, it's going to always be the same, and yet it's always changing. And then I believe you said, separate your identity from the events that happened to you. Okay. I'd like to park on those two thoughts, the latter one first, if we may, for just a moment. And you, you did speak about that throughout your entire presentation. I'd just like to put a little more thought to it um, as a group here up front. How do you go about separating your identity from the events that happened to you? And there are events that happened to all of us. So we're, all of us in this room or those listening or watching have had some sort of experience. So, Separate your identity from the events that happened to you. How how would you speak to this?
2: Well, one suggestion I would say is to continue to live your life, and that helps you remain in your identity. You remember the things that you enjoy, and you remember the things that you do on a daily basis. And I wouldn't say jump right back into being busy all the time, but definitely just slowly reminding yourself of who you are with or without that loss, and it gives you that experience of life again, whether it's happy, sad, hard, easy, you're still experiencing life.
0: So even a normal routine to go back to, which sometimes a loss prevents a normal routine, things are very different now or completely changed. So think about going back to some sort of routine. Now the fear is, if I go back to my routine, is it not, I thought I was hearing this, if I go back to my routine I may forget the loved one that now I'm grieving or I may not grieve. Um, Does that make sense? How do we balance that? Say you're working on a routine, going back to maybe some sort of routine, or maybe a new routine, How how do you allow yourself to do that and still feel like you're grieving or still allowing yourself to grieve?
3: I like to call it kind of your new norm and um, things do change and and it is hard to feel like oh am I gonna be not honoring the remembrance of that person or um, you know whatever the case may be but it's important to remember that it is a new norm and so we can still find those things that we used to do those, those few things that we use to do that kind of keep us grounded in who we are, and then also, in time, look for those things that, um, as, as um, Yolanda said, that give us purpose. So our purpose, I think, is the same, but maybe the way we go about it is a little bit different. And so it's important to remember that we have that opportunity and that freedom to um, remember who we are, to maintain some of it, but life is going to be different, and
1: that is going to be the new norm for you, and that's okay. Something I wanted to add, thank you for asking this, is that many times when I see clients, they are completely unaware of how, the, how they have identified with a loss. It's almost as though we have a private a voice, a self-talk that only we can hear. And many times we're packing extra baggage that is so silent and under the radar that many times, many Christians are unaware that they actually have identified with that loss. And it sabotages them from trying anything new or believing that God is really still there on their behalf. So it's not always easy to identify that you that you do believe that instead of making a mistake, I feel like a mistake. Or instead of just having a loss the loss of confidence, you really feel like a loser. And I think the beauty of being able to identify that is being able to say, let me challenge that thought because I'm not a loser, I made a mistake, but there's a whole lot more that's ahead of me. So identifying it would be the first thing. And the second thing would be having the, the confidence or the, the trust that you can actually share those private thoughts with someone that will not judge you to be able to encourage you. I guess I'm, I am reminded of how valuable it is to have a friend that's non judgmental who can hold you accountable to the thoughts if you're willing to share them. But I think that secret thought is kind of slippery, hard to find.
3: I think also, Yolande, it's important for us to remember that when we're looking at um, what you just said about being able to to kind of reframe what we're thinking, um, sometimes we don't take the time to really look at what is our loss. It, it may be, okay, let me go back. So. It may not be the loss of a person, but say, say you have a loss of a friend or you have a loss of um, a dream, and we don't feel like we should be able to grieve that loss. And so we kind of just move on rather than really saying, what hurts, what am I really trying? To um, to to reach inside of me, and we just kind of move on. And I think, as you were talking about asking that question, sometimes we need to ask ourselves that question. I remember when when our son, after all of his cancer treatment. Um, we we needed to tell him that he would no longer be able to have children. That's what the doctors had told us. And we went to our therapist and said, okay, you know, how, how old should he be when we tell him that? We didn't want to mess it up. And um, she said, well, I'll remember something. And I thought this was so good. She said, he's not going to respond the way you respond. we kind of sat there for a minute. And she said, how do you feel about that? My husband and I had never talked about the grief that we felt about the loss for him, and also the loss for us. And we sat in her office and just wept, because we had never identified that we actually felt a loss there. And so it was just so helpful for us to say, okay, we have a loss here, and then we can go on and help him deal with his loss. And I think it's important for us to remember that sometimes we need to be able to do that if we're going to help somebody else go through their loss. So whether it's a child, a family member, a parent, um, we have to to ask those tough questions for ourselves.
0: So you and Mike were identifying, just as Yolanda said, you were identifying your loss And you were doing what normal parents do. You were wanting to care for your son, so you were almost not allowing yourselves to feel it yourself. So identifying it, I'm speaking for you, but is that somewhat accurate? You were identifying it and then, as you said, Yolanda, being in a very non-judgmental place to trust that you could share that. That, that's the, the, the sequence that's very helpful, And
3: to grieve it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have yes. never seen my husband cry like that. And it, it was a very safe place to be able to do that. And I think it also took us by surprise. So don't be, don't be shocked if something like that catches you by surprise and all of a sudden you're like, wow, I didn't think I'd grieve like that. But it, it was a safe place. And I think having that safe place made it easier and probably a little bit deeper for us to be able to do that.
0: So you're describing also what can happen for a couple if a couple has a, a loss, which you're speaking of your son, that when you're able to align yourselves with identifying it, trusting that there's a safe place, and then grieving it, and when you do that together, and, and some of us, are, we don't have mates, but I'm just saying those of us who do um, in that kind of relationship, or a close friend that you actually create a real intimate space between you and that other person because you're processing it, which you, you said, th- there's the process of it. You're processing, you're going over the speed bump, if you will. You're processing it together, which creates a very intimate space, if I was hearing what you were saying between you and your husband, Mike. Yeah. Well, let's jump in, thank you. That, that helped me a lot to, to make sure we're, we're kind of pulling it in a way right where our questions are going. This first question is, I lost my parents as a child and was not able to grieve because it was not talked about. I'm an adult now and still have trouble grieving. Excuse me, trouble to grieve. I lost my parents as a child and was not able to grieve because it, it was not talked about. I'm an adult now and still have trouble to grieve. How would you respond to that?
1: Sometimes those losses that we experienced as a child, but we that We weren't given permission to grieve or talk about it or share Was done out of a desire to protect you as a child or or children And it really is a disservice to children because they feel left out They have a voice that needs to be heard and it will come out later as an adult if this is something important to you then Maybe the you are grieving, but you're just not recognizing it as grief even to be able to express your voice tonight Is a form of the process of grieving. It's acknowledging this is something I missed. This is something I need so There is no right or wrong way. There certainly are books on grieving the loss of your parent at whatever age You feel now is the time. I need to look at this Uh, many times we're nudged into uh, remembering a loss that we it just went over us. Uh, we, we just thought it was okay, and so now we might even be bothered, like, really? Do I have to do this now? Mm-hmm. Or we, we did talk to someone, and we go, I have already done that. Can we talk about something else? Whatever is coming up, honor yourself. Honor the Holy Spirit within you. Talk about it, journal it, get it out, see what's there for you because throughout your life you may never completely grieve everything and then just want to just move on. So I think it's a gift. Uh, Thank you for sharing that it's bothering you right now. I think, too. when we think of grief and,
3: and this as a child losing both of your parents I don't know what the circumstances were but um, I definitely would say that that um, qualifies as as trauma and um, in EMDR I think Yolanda's trained in EMDR and I'm also trained in EMDR it's dealing with trauma and one of the things I use to um, to describe to people that helps and I think this is good here is If you have, you know how in the grocery store they have the conveyor belts? that have the groceries go by. And those are memories. And, and the checkers picking those groceries up and putting them in the bag, and that's kind of our brain. It picks up memories and puts them in the bag, picks up memories and puts them in the bag. But in the old grocery store, in the gr- old grocery checkout stands, they used to kind of have a bend on them. And sometimes something would get stuck there. You know how sometimes your groceries, some of the groceries would get stuck back there. And so maybe you got a can of peas that gets stuck. And then, you know, the checkers going through, and then maybe a box of crackers gets stuck on the can of peas. And so before you know it, you got this little pile of groceries that hasn't made it around to the checkout, to the checker. Those are memories that get stuck. And so that can of peas that got stuck might be the first memory or the trauma of losing one of your parents. And every time you have another instance of grief, that you weren't able to deal with, it kind of gets piled up there. And so before long, you realize you're not able to grieve because you've, you've kind of gotten all these things stuck on that first loss that you had, and you weren't taught how to grieve, and you don't understand that it's even okay to grieve. And so in that process, we can help you to, to kind of get those things unstuck so that you're able to get back into the, into the idea and learn how to take each um, trauma, crisis, thing that happens in your life and be able to grieve them one at a time rather than waiting till they get piled up and you realize there's something happening inside of me and yet I don't know how to deal with this. I don't know what to do with these feelings and these emotions because I've never been able to.
0: That 's a great illustration. I was a bag boy, and I still remember that, and then getting stuck, and I would get in trouble because I <laughs> didn 't see the extra food that the peas that were stuck on top of so i, I get that I illustration. was a checker I get it too <laughs> well you were you were the ups, uh, up, epsilon you know, higher up than I was. I was just a bag boy for a period of time, but but what I was going to ask is when we talk about grief, this whole idea of grief you you did say talk about it, journal about it, um, and you know talk with someone. Let's, let's assume that everyone that came in here or who's listening has no idea what the word grief means or grieving. W- what does it mean to grieve? You did talk some about it, but let, you just mentioned it, Kathy, you know, and, and gave us a wonderful illustration although I feel a little insecure because I was just a bad boy, but anyway, (laughs) is that talk to us for a moment. What does it mean? What is to grieve? Let's assume we were taught, many of us have been taught not to, and I think you were just saying that. You know, please, you're making me uncomfortable as you feel that. Don't feel that. You know, why are you feeling that? We're all okay. You know, there's these different statements and worse that are said. Talk for just a moment about that. What does that look like? If I I want to learn how to grieve, what would you say to me?
1: This doesn't sound like it would be a textbook answer, but I would say don't pretend that you're not okay. Someone's hand just went up. And don't allow other people to make you feel okay when you're not okay. Mm -hmm. That's giving yourself permission to to not feel like everybody else wants you to feel, to feel normal. Everyone's grief is individual. Mm -hmm. That is something no one can teach you how to grieve. Because it is, there's a whole, there's a whole world of people who would like you to just get over it, whatever it is, just stop being sad, and please don't cry, and please eat your food, and let's go out, and let's go to the movies, and let's just be, just be normal. Give yourself permission to not be normal, not to be fine, not to be okay. That's the start, and you'll, if you're not afraid to find your way through the grief, there certainly are enough grief books. But it's, I would say it's a change in the way that you perceive life. It's also a gift. I'm sure you've read books that say the gift of grief, and people would say, why is this a gift? It stinks. Because it helps you to count your days. It might help you to forgive people that you thought you could never forgive. It's the pause. It's like that Selah moment that's in Psalms. It says, oh, everything's not going to always be the same. And that's the truth. So part of it is accepting the truth, part of it is accepting our limitations. A lot of it is being able to adapt, adapt and find new strengths that you didn't know you had, because it's not going to kill you.
0: So for a male, so for a male, it's not just, uh, "I have to learn how to cry." Because there might be males here who go, I, I have no idea this grief thing, I'm a male so I think I can say that is that, you know, struggling with, you know, then I don't have to cry. So it's, you're saying it's uh, uh, accepting truth, being a, being able to adapt, having a new mindset. One of the things I hear a lot with my patients is they'll say, I'm grieving, and then someone says a zinger. They, they say something like you just said. And then my therapist it may be saying, well just try to not think about that. But it because I was so vulnerable, they said something to me like I think you said you know, if someone has a divorce, we'll just find someone else. I mean how how insensitive is that? But And that just really is a zinger, it really hurts, and I don't know how to get rid of that because I'm trying to grieve and I'm vulnerable, and now I've got on top of that an insensitive person that is trying to be helpful, but they're just soothing their own pain and not really trying to help me, it seems. So I'm now becoming a little bitter in the midst of my grieving. I'm taking this too far, but what do you do with that?
2: Well, like you were saying, grief isn't necessarily crying, it's processing and It can be anger, it can be pain, it can be hurt, it can be tears, it can be yelling. It's whatever is with you is what grief is. And it's in that moment um, what you're going through. And another way I've heard it is like a spiral. If you think of a spiral will start small and then it'll get bigger and bigger and if this is your grief point at first it feels like it's never going to end you've always constantly feel it but then as you you know time goes on and you've processed and you've grieved and you think oh i'm okay i'm okay and then it'll hit you again Mm. you've hit your grief point again and then you keep going and i think that's a constant in life you know i lost my grandmother 15, 20 years ago now, and I cried about it over Christmas because I baked the cookies she always made. You know, things like that, that just, just, it'll always come up. There will always be something, and that's okay. You aren't ever going to be over it because it's a process. hmm
0: That's a new idea, isn't it, because we don't think that way, and you started your presentation with that, to accept that loss is a process of life, and learning how to build that as a skill, then, is what I'm hearing you say. Yes, Kathy. Well,
3: I was just going to add that, and you both have already said it, but I really think it's important. We all grieve differently. Mm -hmm. And it's so important to allow um, ourselves to grieve differently, but also to allow those people that we love to grieve differently, to not expect them to grieve the way we grieve, and to not expect them to grieve when we're grieving. I mean, I I remember one time I worked at Children's Hospital for 10 years in the oncology department, and we lost children all the time. And I remember one time my husband and I, after dinner, we walked into a Bible bookstore, and I went over to the bereavement section, and I was just looking, and all of a sudden, I lost it. And I just sat there and sobbed. And, you know, he was wonderful. He allowed me to just sob. And there we were in the store. Luckily, there was not anybody else in there. But you know what? It was what I needed. I didn't expect that, but it just came up. And he just gave me that permission to say, okay, Kathy, you know, that's what you need to do. Hugged me. I cried and then we we laughed but it was wonderful to know that i could do that it didn't matter that i was in a store that's what i needed to do at that moment and he wasn't embarrassed for me because i embarrassed him
0: so it's surrounding ourselves with those who give us unconditional positive regard non-judgmental listening. They permit us to process. That's important to, to find people who will allow us to do that.
2: I think safety is a good way to say that. Safety. You feel safe.
0: That you feel safe with, with the person, which is what I think I heard you say, Kathy. This, thank you. This next, this is outstanding. This is a great, great discussion. This person said, I've suffered multiple losses by death, all in succession. My life has permanently changed. Loneliness is always there. It sounds like a statement, although there's some questions around that. I have suffered multiple losses by death, all in succession. My life has permanently changed. Loneliness is always there. How would you respond to that statement? It's a real powerful one, for sure.
1: It sounds like you are accepting the facts of the loss and dealing with the process in grief. Doesn't sound like you're trying to cover up or make yourself well, and I don't see anything wrong with that. There is a loneliness that you are experiencing, and it is true. Will you stay there? That's up to you. When are you ready to start moving out? You'll choose the time. Trusting when you're ready, and not forcing yourself to make nice or smile so other people will feel comfortable, it's fine. Multiple losses were, used to be thought of, oh, this is really complicated grief, this is really serious. It doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be at all. It is, it is less important for someone to tell you what kind of grief you have and how you should get through it, it's more important for you to feel safe to be able to grieve uh, the way you want to grieve, you will find your way through that loneliness. Maybe there are new things that will come through. Journaling is something I I highly recommend to a lot of my clients. Um, If there's a group that you want to go through, a group that will allow you to be there and listen to other people so you don't feel alone. It doesn't mean you won't feel lonely, but you may not feel alone. There's a myriad of ways to to do this, and not be in a hurry. Uh, it would be more important for you to understand what is it that you tell yourself, because you're experiencing multiple losses. And what is it that you tell yourself about feeling alone? Because feelings are not fact, and feelings are not our faith. But we do have them. And it's great that you are acknowledging that.
0: hmm So again, there's a congruency by what I feel internally and then how I express myself externally. That's what I'm hearing is if there can be a similar pattern, especially with grief. It, it's its difficult. Sometimes we have to put the smiley face on if we're grieving because others won't accept us. Is that correct? But we could still try to stay who we are is what we're what, what's helpful as I'm hearing this whole concept of, of grief.
1: I would say that... Depending on the meaning you have attached to these losses, speaking to everyone now, it will change you. Well, I believe that we all have a gift of resiliency. If you're expecting to go right back to the way you were before, you don't have to have multiple losses, but you don't want, I think, as a Christian, your life to stay the same. Because these are opportunities for you to grow as a person, mature, as well as trust God in areas that have been unknown to you before. So uh, I would say that don't even pretend to put on a happy face for people. That might even make you angrier. (laughs) Uh You might really be blaming them for what you feel you have to do to make them comfortable. If you're grieving. It won't be grieving every single day, it may be for a period of time, but maybe there are some beautiful things to look at throughout the day, like noticing a rainbow, or watching a bird that just sits at the top of a branch, just little tiny things. Um, I'm I'm a big um, purporter of people finding supports, circles of support so that you're not dependent on what happens in the counseling session, but that you, you have like, a, you're like a tree and you branch out so that you look for other, other ways of support that you may never have discovered, but this grieving time has given you the need to look for support.
0: Mm, wonderfully said. The next question that ties into this says, I, I have cut my father out of my life because of past actions and I feel like I miss him but don't feel he needs to be in my life. How do I stop feeling sad for his absence? Let me say that again. The question here. I have cut my father out of my life because of past actions, and I feel like I miss him, but don't feel he needs to be in my life. How do I stop feeling sad for his absence?
1: While well, you're thinking that, Kathy, what mm-hmm. comes to my mind is, there's no reason for you not to feel sad. It is a loss. It is definitely a loss. You feel it, you know it, you place value on that relationship. However that person has disappointed you, that is a legitimate loss. The fact that you have distanced yourself doesn't make the pain any less. It's up to you to determine how much you value that loss and what you want to do to forgive this person, your father who has hurt you. When you're talking about loss, frequently involves forgiveness, and it's never said, oh, this is the path of grieving, but forgiveness is generally always there. We either have to forgive God for causing it, if we blame him, or not doing enough because a person died, or forgiving ourselves, or forgiving others. That's really the turning point for the deepest kind of authentic resiliency. That is the turning point for many people grieving a loss. And I think that that
2: specific situation could land in the disenfranchised loss lost part because it's a loss that easily people are going to say, well, you made this decision and so you did this to yourself, la la la, but that doesn't mean that it isn't a loss. That doesn't mean it isn't a hurt. It's now, you know, there's a hole there for you. And so I think just recognizing, like Yolanda said, it doesn't go away, it goes inside. And so... That, that sadness that you're feeling is because that loss is still there. And it's just not, you're not able to as readily acknowledge it with other people or talk about it with other people in those type of circumstances.
0: Mm-hmm. So that's almost that allowance of forgiveness. Be it forgiving self or a misunderstanding or a misconception maybe about God forgiving God or forgiving another person. I'm hearing. Because you think about the, uh, the unmerciful servant in the New Testament. And when he was unable to forgive, he was forgiven some $10 million. And then he got off the steps of the governor's palace where he was forgiven this. And then he sought out someone that owed him $17. And the Scriptures say that he began to preach at the person that every good person pays their debts and you owe me $17. And then, when the Greek says that they then took him into the chamber where torture happens. And so, what happened is when he was unable to forgive the other person, he was holding them hostage. So, he had a stranglehold on himself as well as the other person. So, forgiveness is a very powerful thing to release us to forgive self and to forgive others, and maybe sometimes simultaneously. So that forgiveness is so important, I think I'm hearing you say that.
1: Yes, and I would say that many of us feel pushed to forgive before we acknowledge the anger and the hurt, and I think that's a danger. I don't think it's healthy, and I don't think it's necessary, and I think it makes it a cheap kind of forgiveness. The one thought that came to me as you were speaking, Don, was that many of us, if we're dealing with a parental loss or a divide, a cutting off with one of our parents. One thing that I, uh, I have heard and help people with is that we frequently put an overlay of the hurt and the disappointment that we have with a parent over our relationship with God. And just as I said, we should be careful not to identify with a loss. We need to be careful not to compare God with the loss when it involves a person specifically a significant caregiver such as a mother or a father that is frequently a stumbling block for many Christians and um, I would just say Whatever it is that your parent has disappointed you Be aware that you may be feeling that this is something that you also have to deal with in terms of God because God has a male pronoun we call him Father God. And so for the many of the father wounds that people have, frequently unpacking those uh, thoughts that I talked about that were quiet, the self-talk that we have, many Christians are unaware that they frequently think about God the same way or hold back from God in the same way. So the beauty or the, of being able to unpack your thoughts the grieving your loss, specifically with a parent or someone significant, it could be your grandparents, is that uh, you might discover that you are holding back something from God as well. Hmm. Because there's la- usually a lack of trust. Trust is broken. And when trust is broken, then there's repair that needs to happen. There's hmm. the forgiveness. Okay.
0: With this topic, the next question leads us into how to help someone maybe move into more grief work. How to do that. And the question is, what are your thoughts when a spouse doesn't want to memorialize when their spouse dies, even a small celebration of life, but the adult children would like to? What are your thoughts when a spouse doesn't want to memorialize when their spouse dies, Even a small celebration of life, but the adult children would like to? It's a very good question.
3: question.
0: Yes. It's a very good question.
3: Um, I would, I think, respectfully um, understanding that the spouse might not want to do that, maybe because can't deal with it I'm not really sure what the circumstances are but they might not be able to deal with um, doing some type of a memorial might be too painful for them but I also think that if there's adult children that there is something that the adult children could do um, separate that might help them be able to do some type of or show some way of being able to grieve if that's important for them, to be able to come up with something that they could a way that they could honor and memorialize the other parent. So we're talking about adult children here. Um, I would say, again, to be, being very respectful of the spouse, but also being able to come up with something that the children could do that would be um, honoring to the parent that has de- is deceased, and also um, helping them to deal with some of the grief that they're feeling. Some people need... That um, celebration of life, some people don't, and I saw that a lot when I worked with families and parents. Um, a lot of times, you know, you'd get two parents, and they had very, very different ideas of the way they wanted to memorialize their child, and so kind of that compromise. How how are we going to do this, and what is it going to look like? And um, you know, if you can do it respectfully. And find a way, you know. If it's mom or dad, can can would we'd like to do this? We understand if this is not something that you'd like to be a part of. Um, Maybe including a smaller group of friends. Maybe not including any friends. Maybe it's just something that the adult children say we're going to go and and do this because this is what mom really enjoyed doing. Or we're going to make a donation because this was an organization that mom really felt you know very strongly about her dad whatever it is so I think you can look outside the box what does it mean to memorialize it doesn't need to be um, a big celebration of life but is there something that you can do that would be honoring and and yet still very meaningful to um, those individuals that feel like they want something
2: And I think with the relationship with the surviving parent and the adult children, to be cautious not to speak for the person they've lost. um, Because it's hard for both sides to know what they're doing in this moment. And so um, it's easy for us to say, well but this is how mom would have wanted it. Or this is how, you know, dad would be so mad right now if he knew this or that. Mm -hmm. And that's not fair, again, out of respect, to say to either side, either party. Yeah,
0: that's wonderful. And actually leads us into this next question. Uh, how How do I help others to understand my grief? I'm feeling very abandoned by those I thought loved me the most. So then how do I help others to understand my grief?
3: Did you say I'm feeling abandoned?
0: Yes, and then it said, I'm feeling very abandoned by those I thought loved me the most.
3: Mm. What I hear there, and I could be wrong, is um, those that I thought loved me the most, and I wonder if that means that they're not showing love the way I need Mm -hmm. to be shown love, and so therefore... They don't love me, or I'm assuming that they don't love me, and so it might be the way you're interpreting what they show, how they show love. Um. What was the second part? You you
0: actually demonstrated. It was a great demonstration. So I'm trying to, I think I understand what was just said. This is sort of what you said. What a great modeling for others trying to understand our grief. I'm really trying to understand. I really don't know if I do. However, am I sort of understanding what your grief is? You just modeled it. So I just interrupted you majorly, though, too. But, yeah.
3: Well, I mean, I I that's a part of it do does the person understand do they are they receiving what you're giving or are you receiving what the other person's giving are they speaking your love language are they you know not really doing what it is that you need them to do um, And they're not going to know, perhaps, unless we tell them that this is what I need. I know um, Yolanda said numerous times in her presentation, ask for what you need. And, you know, sometimes it's hard to do, but this is what I need. I know when I was in a very difficult time, lived in the hospital for six months with my son, my husband and I, he was at home with the other two babies. What I needed at that moment, every once in a while, I had a dear friend, and I would literally call her in the middle of the night, it'd be midnight, one o'clock in the morning, because I was all alone in the hospital, losing it, and I didn't want to call my husband, and she was the one that I would call, and she'd talk to me for a while, and then she'd hand the phone to her husband, and I'd talk to him for a while, that's what I needed, and I was okay to say, this is what I need. And every once in a while, they were okay to not get a great night of sleep, because Kathy needed somebody to call when she was scared to death at one o'clock in the morning, thinking, okay, we might not make it through the night. I appreciated that that spoke love to me in a way that you can never know, and I will never forget it. But I had to ask for it they wouldn't have called me at 1 o'clock in the morning. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I don't even know that they appreciated me calling them, but they let me. That was huge. So I don't know if that helped with that question.
0: So you are, well, I think you're saying just to ask, and and maybe we could even uh, increase or engage uh, invitational language. Would you be willing to take a moment to listen to me? Would that be a possibility? And then then realize if the other person says, you know, I really don't at this point, but I might be able to an hour or maybe tomorrow, so that we infuse a level of choice that would encourage the person to want to even participate in it.
3: And you know, some people are just not able to. Yes, We need to understand that. Yes. Some people are not able to. And that's okay. What's interesting is they're going to miss out, when we were talking before about intimacy and how you build that intimacy Mm -hmm. when you have that, when you're helping a friend go through something, you are building an intimacy that's a bond that is not broken. And I know some of you out there, because I know some of you that have gone through really difficult times. And when you have those people that you, you're able to talk to, they're able to call you and help you through those, that's a bond that is unbreakable. It's a wonderful intimacy in a friendship or in a marriage, in a relationship. But not everybody's able to do that and we need to be free to allow them not be able to do
1: that. And it doesn't necessarily mean they don't love us. Something comes to my mind as you're talking, Kathy, and that is that when we are grieving, we're not always the most pleasant people. How do I say that? Well, <laughs> um, I was. You, only you, <laughs> we, you Yolanda. We, yeah. I know. It, it is me. I have that... I'm just teasing. ...porcupiney personality. <laughs> Sometimes, when we have, a, we're, uh, we enter this trajectory, like it's a wave. As we said, grief is not like something linear because people, I've led grief groups, they said, well, are we done with the shock part? And are we going into the next, am I in the next phase now? And (laughs) they just are on a task. And you have to consider, you may not know how you come off to friends who love you. You may be, it's very normal to be irritable to be really uh, complaining a lot about anything, nothing, or everything. <laughs> so, with all due respect to your friends who love you, they may not uh, know how to handle you in this new phase of grieving, which you are doing and picking everyone apart. And so, you may also be kind of porcupiney yourself, you know, kind of irritable and not really even know it. You may not even know it if you're going through the shock, the denial, the, all of the anger and everything. I'm reminded of uh, the book of Ruth, where Naomi was very porcupiney. She wanted to change her name, and she made no bones about telling anybody who would listen that God was not her friend anymore. Actually, God had it in for her. And did you want to hear more? So I think that is in the Bible to help us understand that we can grieve, we can say things that we may regret later, but God is still walking with you. He knows your heart is broken. He's not going to hold it against you and remind you what you said about him when you were grieving. And you have someone who listened. Ruth had someone who listened. I'm sorry, Naomi had someone who listened. So let's look at the other side to just know, you go ahead, ask somebody if you're grieving and say, you know, am I kind of irritable lately? And if they say, yes, I'm glad you asked, then listen to them because you need to kind of understand yourself in a new perspective and give both you and your friends grace. Thank you. That's all I have to say about yeah.
0: that. Is that a new word in the dictionary, porcupine Yes, porcupine okay. okay, I just... Yes. I had, I, American now
1: Psychological I have, Association has said irritable, but I say porcupine.
0: Okay, it'll probably be in the DSM in the future because of this tonight, <laughs> I'm sure. This last question, this last question is, please recommend possible resources for two young ladies that may have uh, lost their only parent-slash-caregiver. Do you have any resources recommending some resources for two young ladies that may have lost their only parent slash caregiver?
2: Forgive me because I am newer to the San Diego area, but places that I've been in the past, I've I've been in two churches now that have had mm-hmm. grief groups for young adults and for teenagers and even for little ones. And so I'm not sure if Skyline offers it or if other churches nearby offer it, but I think that a group is a great place um, for teenagers to feel normal. They want to feel normal whether they've lost someone or not. And so especially if they're going through something that is not the norm for the kids their age, to be amongst other people who are going through a lot of the same feelings and emotions and situations, I think a group is a great resource for them.
0: And we do here at Skyline. In fact, Pastor Skip is here with um, his uh, grief recovery class. It's here on Wednesday evening, 6.30 p.m. until 8 p.m. And he leads us in this area. So any one of these age groups, we could refer to him. Pastor Skip, I think you're here. There he is, right there where his hand is. Thank you. He's a tremendous asset to this congregation, a wonderfully revered uh, gentleman who has tremendous compassion. So that's a resource. Anything else before we close this evening?
1: One thought that comes to my mind is there is a company called Compassionate Friends, Mm. and they have a library of books on grief for every age. You can Google them. I think it's CompassionateFriends.com, and their books, um, they must have over, I don't know, a couple of hundred books. What I'd like is that they're books generally written by people who have walked through the grief. Mm. So they have books written for teenagers by teenagers. But it's for every age. So I hope that's helpful.
0: Thank you. Would you please join me in thanking our panel this evening uh, that have participated with us? Just wanted to mention that our next um, presentation in the next month in March is uh, The Hidden Life. You can see that The Hidden Life of an Adopted Child. So you can see why we're thankful that Yolanda will be back with us, kind of a continuum here. And then Carl Stinsky is actually a, an expert in this, and I'd like to say that I had, I had him come and share with our staff one, one uh, staff meeting. We have people that come periodically. And he was so dynamic that they asked him to come back. So actually that morning, uh, that morning in March, March 5th, he'll be with our staff, and then he'll be coming here during the evening, and he will be presenting. He is an expert in this area, so you may want to share with those around you or your loved ones or friends uh, about this, the, the hidden life of an adopted child, and he was an adopted child as well, so he speaks from personal plus research experience and, and background. That's going to be our March 5th uh, presentation. So thank you three very much. Let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll be concluding for this evening. Father, we thank you so much that you understand grief as we follow your life, and as you walked the life of Jesus Christ, that you went through many, many avenues of loss and embraced pain to a level that's way beyond what any of us will ever have to experience. Because... You who were without sin became sin on our behalf, and it was deafening. In fact, it was death-producing. And we thank you that you didn't stay dead, but that you rose from the grave. And you understand pain so incredibly in-depthly. So we pray your blessing upon the fact that we can turn to you We can trust in you. We can lean into you because you're already in pursuit of us with your most gracious love and compassion. So we pray your blessing upon each person here, those who may have been viewing this or listening in. We give you praise and most importantly for your wonderful grace and unconditional love which every human being needs. It was almost shouted from... Uh, this, uh, this area up here in this platform that we need unconditional love from those around us and we thank you that it's available through Jesus Christ. We bless you, we honor you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for coming. God bless.